talking with Dr. Kena Murphy, the Chief Scientist and Africa Policy Lead for Campaign for Nature, which is the organization that has called on world leaders to commit to protecting 30% of the planet by 2030. Holding a PhD in ecology and a master's in community and regional planning, Kena has worked for over 25 years throughout Africa, Asia, and North America focusing on biodiversity monitoring and market-based approaches to conservation. Welcome, Kina. I am very excited to talk to you about happiness. How are Hi, you doing Andy. today? <laughs> Great. Thanks so much for having me. And Yeah, it's really a pleasure to be here. Well, you know what I'm thinking? I need to ask you the question I ask everybody just to start off, and that is, what makes you happy? I'm assuming it has something to do with nature. I know that when I go out in nature, I'm really happy. I mean, it just calms me down. It takes all the stress away. I feel connected to something larger than myself. But that's how I feel. Mm -hmm. And this is about yeah, how well, you feel. You're right. I mean, you know me too well. Uh, yeah, I would say that, um, I mean, what really makes me, I think I think happiness for me, though, just in general is, is is actually being peaceful, finding that, that space where you're in balance with yourself and the things around you. And, you know, for me, that's, that is being in nature. I think for, for other people that might not be so, but, um, you know, I grew up, up in the wilderness. And so for me, it's, 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 my, it's my sanctuary. It's my place of peace. It's where I feel at home. Uh, it's where I feel safe. And, you know, it, 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 it also just nourishes me, it, you know, the wind, the fresh air, all of those things. Um, and I didn't really know it. I didn't really know how happy it made me until I actually lived in the city. I was really unhappy. <laughs> so, you know, yeah, yeah, for me, it's, yeah, it's being part of something larger than me and being part of a bigger whole. Yeah. Well, now, this is very interesting because a lot of people who might be listening to the podcast do live in cities. So... Mm -hmm. Could you talk a little bit more about the difference of living from your personal experience of living in a city and mm -hmm. maybe not being able to connect with nature or maybe there are ways that you can suggest that when people are living in cities, they can connect with nature more effectively? Yeah, I, I think that, um, you know, for me, uh, the, the difference really is is, is that, that 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 sense of peace and connectedness. 
um, you know, it's like we are nature, right? We, it nourishes us. You know, we nourish it. It, you know, it's a it's a reciprocal cycle, or it should be. You know, I think humans are a bit out out of balance right now, or not even a bit, extremely out of balance. Um, and I think that I think that cities are are an example of that imbalance. You know, where you can't. It's really difficult mm-hmm. to sort of just walk out of your house and touch the ground or you know, sit under a tree or, you know, even breathe fresh air in many, in many cases, you know, the air isn't even clean in cities. And I think that, um, I think that when you are from the city, because I have lots of family members and friends who are from the city, um, you don't really even know what it is like to, to be in a place of peace and connectedness, like, like you, you get when you're in nature. But I, you know, I grew up in the wilderness. My dad was park ranger when I was a kid, so I grew up in really mm-hmm. um, extreme wilderness places. Um, you know, there was no sound at night when I was going to sleep. Um, so you always mm-hmm. knew what was going going on around you. I mean, there was, of course, there was the sound of the wind and, and the crickets and things like that, which for me is like a lullaby. I love the sound of the crickets at night. Um, and... Uh, you know, and also I think I, you know, I also, I, you know, I'm African American and I grew up in um, uh, really small, you know, sort of hick towns, or sh- I sh- maybe shouldn't say that, maybe that's not politically correct, sorry, um, but, you know, I just grew up in very small towns, rural places, and, um, it, you know, it was difficult. People were very mean um, and judgmental, and but for me, mm-hmm. I could always just escape to, to the wilderness. And it was a place where I wasn't judged or, you know, seen based on the color of my skin or, or, or you know, people didn't have their um, preconceived opinions about me and I, I could just feel free. And I think that that's, it's a huge thing that is missing when, when you're in the city. One year, you're always scrutinized by the eye of other humans and what somebody else is wearing or what car they're driving or what other human beings are doing. Um, and you don't you don't sort of gain this like depth of understanding that um, you know that, that that we are part of a bigger whole and and it is the very thing that nourishes us right you know and it, it's what it it, it 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 breathes life into us literally and I think if you can't connect to that it it hurts the spirit it hurts the soul um, and you you don't you you know it's it's it, it, you know one of the things that happened to me when I was really young I was 18 I guess when I moved away from my parents house and started living in cities because I had to go to college um and it wasn't even very big cities I moved to Santa Fe (laughs) New Mexico right which is a very small place and not a city by most people's standards although I have lived in Chicago a bit um as a teenager and before I came to Santa Fe because my mom was was from there and had moved back but um you know, but I, I developed cancer at a really young age. You know, I was 19 years old. I got cancer. And I'm 100% sure that it was literally because my nervous system couldn't handle all of the kind of outside or um, artificial inputs um, that came from from living in the city, you know, from the toxins of cars and other machines to just, you know, the electrical sort of vibrations and the noise and, and just, I, and, and frankly, I was somewhat afraid, you know, um, I, yeah, I was, I was a bit afraid because um, I'd never, I'd never interfaced with that many people all at the same time, nor had the stress of like, you know, they're scrutinizing my sort of every move, you know, so I guess, yeah, that's, yeah. Let me ask this question. I'm fascinated mm-hmm. by what you're saying. Because you were saying your nervous system couldn't take it, 
when you went into the cities because you had mm-hmm. been so many years in nature and connecting to nature where you mm-hmm. felt safe, where you felt comfortable, where you could connect uh, to the whole and felt balanced. So mm-hmm. now my question is once you got in the city and you got the uh, and you got cancer, how did you mitigate that? How did you because here you are today and you're the chief yeah. scientist and you're traveling the world <laughs> and doing all kinds of things. Yeah. So in 19 you did mm-hmm. something and I I think our audience would love to know what you did. Well, I don't think it's any sort of remedy for, for cancer in general because lots of people ask me that question. But I think for me, um, you know, it, uh, just, be, you know, being in the city caused me an extreme amount of stress, right? So um, what I did, I did was um, I, I moved back out to the mountains um, where I was mostly off-grid, you know, and I didn't have that, the interference um, of, you know, noise and electricity and all those things. Mm-hmm. I sort of religiously took every herb. I, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm a scientist, obviously. So I, I tried to find out facts about, you know, um, how to solve things, and uh, I, I just took every single herb, you know, that that was recommended for for the cancer. And but I think what really did it is that I just reduced my stress. I took I took away all of those things that stressed me out. I knew that I couldn't, it's, it's sort of why I, I became, I, t- I chose the career that I did because originally all I wanted to do was just be, you know, in the wilderness and, you know, doing science, doing research, looking at animals and plants and other critters and, you know, um, and so I, I, cho- I, I made a really conscious decision not to do things in my life that would stress me out, you know. And to and to let go of a lot of the worry, um, you know, that I that I was experiencing, um, which was also new to me, and um, and reconnect with with my my sense of place and um, you know and biodiversity in general. And I think that's what did it. You know, it was just the the yeah. sense of peace. But of course, the herbs and you know not and getting rid of the noise and all of those things and just and just finding peace within myself, which which honestly, in nature just helped me do. You know, and it helped me figure out you know, what direction I wanted to go in my life, like what really mattered to me. And, you know, I had short periods of, um, you know, doing the city thing and trying to be stressed out and be an overachiever and, you know, show that I was worthy of everything, <laughs> you know. And, um, you know, it's mm-hmm. Yeah. And then I just realized it's, it's, it's not about everybody else. It's just about yourself. It's about, you know, are you, know, are you in love with yourself? Are you, um, do you accept, you know, do you accept, you know, your own path, and are you, you happy with the choices that that you have made, and, you know, irrespective of what other people think, you know, and I think we all have to let that go, yeah. Join Sandra M. at her live performance of the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, a toast to love and happiness in life. It's an uninhibited musical adventure, Sunday, February 4, 3 p.m. at the Santa Fe Women's Club. Our next adventure is guaranteed to awaken your happiness vibe. Celebrate with upbeat rhythms, love songs, special guests, and fun stories, some told by you in the audience. Enjoy Todd Lowry, Sandra's musical guest and accompanist, singing his happy and hopeful originals. To celebrate happiness with Sandra M. and the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow, email sandra at sandramcknight.com. 
Stay tuned for ticket information and save that date, Sunday, February 4, 3 p.m., to celebrate happiness with Sandra M. Wow, this is so fantastic what you're talking about mm-hmm. because peace within yourself. You know, mm-hmm. all, all the people, like I follow Dr. Bruce Lipton, and I've mentioned him before in some of these podcasts, and he talks about, he's an epigenetist, an epigeneticist and a biologist, and he talks about the fact that he feels that 90%, if not more, of the diseases on this planet are due to stress. Stressing the body, the mind, etc. And here you are saying being in nature reduces your personal stress. And my Mm -hmm. question is now, do you think that it would be the same for most people? In other words, once they got used to it, I mean, maybe they don't have Mm -hmm. to stay overnight in the tent. They could go to a motel or something. But even taking a walk (laughs) in nature. uh, Oh, absolutely. so what would be some of the things, like I know in cities, now you have, have a degree, it says here, in community and regional planning. So mm-hmm. I have a vague idea of what that means, but I would think mm-hmm. that in cities they have to do a lot of planning, don't they? They have to put in parks and other things. Mm-hmm. That yeah, helps to have So Yeah, so I just did this retreat. I just did a retreat um, up at uh, um, a ranch in New Mexico. It's like a seven, 10,000 acre ranch. And it was all about mm-hmm. sort of reconnecting people with nature. I did a lot of the conservation work up there. So it wasn't connecting me with nature, but there were a lot of people from the city who, who were trying to reconnect with nature. For me, it was great to connect mm-hmm. with the people <laughs> because I'm always connected to nature. But um, so one of some of the things that people said, so there was this one woman and she was so amazingly interesting because she was sort of the, the person you would think that would be least likely to be deeply connected with nature. Um, and she, because she's very much from the city and just from her outward appearance, like people would make judgments and things like, oh, this person probably doesn't know anything about being in nature. But she was so deeply connected that she, she noticed every little thing happening around her. And one of the things that she said, she said that she does when she's in the city is she'll just like be in a parking lot and go sit under the trees like that are, that are in the mediums and places like that. Like everywhere she goes, she, she, she would just find little teeny pockets of nature to go hang out in or, or um, you know, read a book or, or, or just sit and contemplate in. And she said she did this like quite often, you know, and I thought that was mm-hmm. so interesting that like, you know, you can be in a city and you can be in a parking lot and there can be just this little outcrop of trees that people have put because they, it look pretty, but really if you just go sit underneath them and, um, you know, feel the grass and feel the shade and, interact maybe with the little critters if you're that far advanced, you know, um, and, you know, it really, can, it really can be healing. And she said for her, that was like kind of her gateway into, into um, deeper nature experiences. So, yeah. And I, and I think that's the thing that leads me to your question about planning. You know, I think that why I got into community and regional planning in the first place was because I thought it was, I've always had this idea that, that, 
I don't know how people survive without being able to, to just wander off into nature, right? For me, I, I, I could not live and I could not survive. So I thought, wow, I, everybody must be suffering and they don't know it, you know? And so I was wanting to really try to, um, you know, uh, you know, plan um, urban landscapes that, that included nature and con con included places where, you know, people could just really experience nature. And so, um, you know, there are lots of cities that have great open space areas, like, you know, New York City has great ones. I mean, it's kind of incredible that it's New York City, yet they have Central Park and all these other parks around the city. And to, so I think to whatever degree you can just get out and get into these little pockets of nature, it's great. Or I have another friend, um, Yusuf Burgess, who died some years ago, who, um, who he had extreme PTSD from being in Vietnam. And he came back to New York City, super urban area, and where he found his peace and where he found, you know, um, nature and a way to heal his PTSD was by getting on the rivers, getting out in the water and, um, and kayaking. So he would do river and sea kayaking. And then he started taking, um, you know, young African-American um, kids who were maybe getting involved with gangs and things like that or just going down the wrong path. And he started taking them out into, you know, the so-called wilderness. But this is just like, you know, um, uh, you know, freshwater or, you know, uh, oceans that he could take people to right outside of New York City. They didn't even really have to go anywhere and they could still connect with nature. So I think, you know, um, you know, being thoughtful, you know, just, just, thinking out of the box. You don't have to have a bunch of money. You, you know, you don't have to have a lot of time, but you can, you can find those little pockets of nature and, and, you know, or you can hug a tree, <laughs> breathe, you know, try to breathe some fresh air there while you're, you're sitting next to a tree and, and then it will evolve from there, you know, and it'll lead you to new places like it did Yusuf and it did, like it did my, my friend Cece who was um, at the um, wilderness exchange program that I just did. Yeah. Fantastic. I, I love the concept of gateway to nature, gateway into nature. And mm -hmm. I do know that animals have to compete with a lot of difficulties, right, in cities. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so in the planning, people have made efforts to help animals. I think you know something mm -hmm. about that, right? How do yeah, we work? Yeah, urban corridors. Yeah, well, I mean, well, I just, I just called them urban corridors, um, but basically wildlife corridors, I think, you know, it's one of the most important things that we can do actually for biodiversity is create these, these kinds of wildlife corridors. And when I say wildlife corridors, they're like corridors that are, that are connected to larger wilderness areas, right? So, of course, you wouldn't mm -hmm. expect that you know, a whole ecosystem of animal, animals could necessarily, I mean, in some cases it could, but not in all cases, survive. Um, within urban environments, but, you know, animals need to move. Not only do animals need to move, so do plants, and, you know, they move through seeds mm -hmm. and all sorts of, you know, other mechanisms, wind and things like that, and they need places to move to and grow into. And so if we create these corridors that go through um, urban areas um, that connect to more, to larger wilderness areas, you know, then we're doing a tremendous service to, to wildlife. I mean, I am of the opinion that we are the ones that should live in corridors. I think we should live in human corridors, you know, yeah. and sort of, you know, contain ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, so an example, yeah, I'm sorry, I'm going to interrupt here a yeah, moment. An example, of a, 
Yeah, an example of a corridor would be like uh, underneath the highway so that the animals can cross underneath the highway mm -hmm. as opposed to having to go across the highway and be killed. Is that basically what we're talking about? Well, that's one example. So, yeah, we, I mean, we did a huge mm -hmm. project, and there are lots of projects around that. I mean, so that, that, those are linear infrastructure corridors, you know. So if you have these mm -hmm. linear infrastructure, you know, human infrastructure that's, that's, you know, on the landscape, then that is probably one of the hardest um, uh, situations for wildlife to really mitigate or, or um, whatever, get around because there's no way around it, right? Like, I mean, animals will look for a way around, but if you have a highway that's stretching across the country, there's no way around, right? Or a railroad line or, you know, any kind of other linear infrastructure. So in those cases, you have to create corridors that go either under them um, or over them, something like that, mm -hmm. so that wildlife can get through. And, um, you know, we did a big project. We had a, a group of Mongolians that came here because as they were starting to do a lot of their linear infrastructure planning. Um, they were able to get ahead of the game and actually put in these wildlife underpasses and overpasses. But that's not the end of the story. I mean, really, we have these huge urban environments that just take up huge swaths of landscape and while we can create underpasses and overpasses along our highways and railroad lines, you know, we still have these cities that are that are impeding movement for, for animals and, 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 and other species. So what we can do is, you know, we can create parks that are connected within those those urban environments that then lead into other wilderness areas. So, and there are lots of ways that corridors can be created. I mean, if, then if you start thinking about birds, you can create um, uh, different different kinds of um, landscapes for birds where they can land and get resources as they're migrating, such as like, you know, even rooftop gardens right. and things like that can be great for birds. And that can be kind of a corridor, you know? So there's lots of different ways we can make corridors, yeah. We invite you and yours to an intimate 14-day happiness journey to Bhutan, the lost kingdom of happiness. Coming in May of 2024, experience the magnificent beauty, magic, and mystery of this ancient culture that calculates the gross national happiness of its people. Happiness, Bhutan style, is an adventure of a lifetime. Go to BhutanLostKingdomTours.com and click on Special Tour Packages to download your itinerary for Being in Love with Life, A Happiness Journey to Bhutan with Miss Sandra McKnight. And remember, celebrate happiness with Sandra M. where I live, I plant all kinds of milkweed, I think it's called, uh, for the butterflies, the monarch butterflies, and I also plant certain things that I know that the bees love because the bees are really endangered and that is according, that supports our yeah. food system, isn't it true? I mean, yes, yes. Absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. What I would like to ask is my final question here, and I just think it's so important is what are you in love with? Because from my opinion, my experience in talking to a lot of people about happiness, they always mm -hmm. say it boils down to love, self-love. You've already covered that when you were talking about, you know, finding peace within yourself and really loving yourself, etc. When you mm -hmm. were going through uh, healing from the cancer and so forth. 
So, but then it's also loving what other people, yeah. loving yeah. Yeah. connecting. I just want to ask that yeah. question, and then one other thing. Can we connect that to your concept that you're working on? I know so very hard with 30 percent. Uh, let's see. How did we say that 30 percent of the planet must be protected by 2030? Do you yeah, think if yeah. we have more? Okay, I'm going to stop, and you go ahead and tell me what I want to hear about that. Okay. Um, so first part of the question: What am I in love with? I, I think that my the greatest love of my life is literally. Um, the wilderness, you know. I mean, I wouldn't even say it's just nature. I, I say it's wilderness. You know, I love wild things, wild places, wild animals, wild everything, wild people. <laughs> well, you know. So, um, and and because I think that you know, having the the freedom to express who you really are and um, be part of something that is that is its true self um, is 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 the greatest gift we can receive in life, right? Um, and yes. so I think that, so what we are facing right now is that if we do not protect at least at a minimum of 30% of the planet by 2030, we're going to lose a million species, right? And Ooh. so this goes, back yeah. to, this goes back to the love thing, right? Is it us human beings, right, I think we, we spoke about this before, is that us human beings, we think, you know, we're always saying that, like, we're so altruistic and we're so loving and the humanity of things is so tremendous. But really, in reality, we're, we're, not, we're, we're, not good be- we're not good beings on this planet, you know. And I think that we need to really search, search deeply within ourselves and, um, and do some sort of self-evaluation, right, um, and realize that there's a lot more to love other than human beings, right? We can love ourselves, we can love each other, but, you know, we really need to care for all of the other beings that are, that are existing on this planet with us. And we can, we, we can either, we can make a choice, you know, the choice is either are we going to continue to be sort of narcissistic, you know, in a sort of large-scale way and only focus on human beings on this planet, or are we going to say, you know what, everybody else matters too, you know, from the tiniest, teeniest little, you know, microscopic organism living within the soil to, you know, the largest elephant or the biggest sequoia, you know, we need to, we need to care about everything, every living being equally. And, and I would say not even every living being, all of the processes that support us, you know, because if you think about our, our rivers uh, and our oceans, right, it's no different than the blood in our body, you know, it's what delivers nutrients um, to every single thing on this planet. Every single living thing on this planet requires water, you know, and so if we are dumping our waste down, you know, sewage lines into um, rivers and oceans, then what are, what, are we, what are we doing to this organism that, that literally protects and supports us? We're, we're dumping toxins into it. And we do that to ourselves, too. We dump toxins into our own bodies. But, um, yes. but I think it's, just, it's, it's time we stop, you know. It's time we take the really critical view of ourselves. And I think, you know, for me, even, like, even as an individual, I think that my happiness comes from not people telling me that, everything you do is just great, you know? Um, well, it's nice to hear that, you know, things that I do are nice, but really it's the criticism that um, 
that that turns me into a better person or lets me grow into a better person, right? It's because then I can see, oh, what I've done wrong and how I can do things better. And I think we need to take a critical look at ourselves as human beings and what we are doing and the trajectory that we have been on for, you know, the past couple thousand years. It's um, it's not a good one. And it's a very self-centered, narcissistic one. And we need to take the time to to love everything else that, that is here on the planet with us. And for me, that's what happiness is about. It's like, you know, it's like if I can think like of something, not just myself, I mean, it's great to love yourself, right? Because that's where it begins. But like, then we got to like, you know, we have to love everything else. We have to make sure that, you know, the things that we are doing are not harming um, all the other beings around us, all the other critters around us, all the life, you know, all the things that bring us life. So, yeah, and so that's how we can also, you know, um, uh, move this 30 by 30 concept forward. You know, we've got to, we have to figure out how to protect 30% of this planet by 2030. And that doesn't mean that we can't exist within nature. We absolutely should exist within nature. And we have a positive role that we can play in nature. Um, we just um, have to get rid of all the negatives and, um, and then we can be a supportive, integral um, sort of uplifting part of, of, of the whole process. Yeah. This is a beautiful, beautiful way to end, Tina. Thank you so much. Yeah. I really love the idea that, yes, we start to love ourselves, etc. but love is the basis for learning to care for every human being. Uh, not human being, but every being on the planet. And I'm assuming that also includes plants because Absolutely. they're living. Yes, yes, <laughs> right. Right, right. Yeah. Mycorrhizae, plants, bacteria, bugs, <laughs> birds, right. everything. Yeah. And, and I love your idea. Yeah, right. that's literally what biodiversity is. And I just love also your comparison to the rivers carry the nutrients, right? Mm-hmm. Of the earth and and everything is interconnected and Comparing it to our blood system, I mean, that makes it very real because that's yeah. something we understand, right? Yes. Right. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Did you have any last thoughts that you wanted to say? No, you're welcome. I mean, I, I just I, I really appreciate you doing this uh, happiness uh, <laughs> podcast. I think that, you know, I think we, it, 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 it's something we really need to think about, like what actually – is happiness and how do we create happiness? And I think one one thing you asked me, like not actually on this call, it was um, uh, can you create happiness? And I think, or is happiness a choice? And I think absolutely it is a choice. It is a choice, you know, and it's a it's a choice to to create more life and create more joy and create more growth rather than to be a destructive force, you know, and I think that in our, in our hearts and our spirits and, you know, and in our everyday lives, we, we can just make those choices in every single thing that we do, you know, and make the right choice, make the choice to be happy. Yes, you're welcome. Make the choice to be happy. Thank you so (laughs) much. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. Yep. For me as well. Thank you so much for having me. Weekly Key to Happiness 16. Explore meditation. 
Meditation can involve movement, focus, spirituality, or a combination of all three. And it doesn't have to be complicated. It can be as simple as sitting quietly for five minutes every day, or deep breathing exercises done on a regular basis. Newsflash, remember to sign up for your personal copy of Our Keys to Happiness. It's easy. Go to SandraMcKnight.com and click on Keys to Happiness. Thank you for tuning into the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow with us. And if you enjoyed the conversation, please help build our happiness community by sharing this podcast with friends and family. And before I go, I'd like to thank today's guest, Keena Murphy, for sharing her happiness story. To share your happiness story on the Celebrate Happiness Roadshow podcast, send an email to sandra at sandramcknight.com. Find that love is all.